When I was first saved by the grace of God and began to attend churches, it was uh, noticeable to both myself and my wife that there were some in the churches that were different than others. That many of the people in the church, couple of churches that we attended, did not seem to be so zealous for the things of God or desirous to learn about the things of God. And then later on in the years following when I became a pastor, I saw this again even in the churches where I ministered and I heard from many of the people that would say, I'm a Christian. And they claimed to be saved by God. And they said, I made a decision when I was a boy. I came forward in a church. I got baptized at a revival meeting. Or I came forward and I was saved by the grace of God. And uh, some of them continued to attend church. Some of them perhaps even attended Sunday school. But seldom did they go to, let's say, a prayer meeting or evening worship. And in fact, it was pretty obvious that in the lives of many, when it came to heeding the commandments of God, the principles of God, following the word of God, they were simply not interested in that. Their lives exhibited no evidence of any change whatsoever. No evidence of anything different from anyone else in the world. They had no Christian distinctives to their lives and the way they lived their lives. I later found that in some cases I had people that were in my church living for years with those that they were not married to. Living with years for years with those that were just in sin. And attending the ladies' Bible study. Attending the WMU. Attending the church. And they said, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. But they lived like the rest of the world in sin. Many that I knew, many that I pastored, were actually for the rest of the week, or maybe even Sunday afternoons, drunk. A lot of them smoked and even smoked cigars. In one church where I pastored, we had a fellowship hall that was connected to the church sanctuary by a breezeway. And the joke was that my deacons were out there smoking cigars in between the services. That's just the way that it was. That was their lifestyle. There was no discernible desire to walk in accordance with the Scriptures. In some cases, there was no discernible desire to worship God. In fact, many people in the churches where I pastored were more anxious to get out of the church than they were to get into the church. They might show up on time, but preacher, you better be done on time because I'm leaving. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what you're preaching. I don't care if God's dealing with people. It's noon. I'm leaving. We're Is that in the heart of a Christian? No discernible evidence of a desire to worship God. No discernible desire to hear God's word, to study God's word, to read God's word. And I will say this, 
that in some of the churches that I pastored, some of the people that called themselves Christians were some of the meanest, orneriest, nasty people that I ever met. And that includes working for seven years in a landfill. For those of you who don't know what a landfill is, it's a garbage dump. And I had nicer people that would do more to help somebody working in a landfill than in the churches that I was attending, or even in some cases, pastoring. They were just downright mean. These people, though they say they were saved, and though they say that they loved God, are the millions of churchgoers who have been deceived by false teaching and false theology in our day, which teaches that you can be saved and still live like the world and go to heaven. They are a new class of people invented by the modern church because of their own false practices of easy believism. Let's just get everybody in the door. Let's just get people on the rolls. Let's just get people in. It doesn't matter if they're changed. It doesn't matter if they're holy. It doesn't matter if they seek to live a sanctified life. Let's just get them into the church and on the rolls and members and maybe someday they'll take Jesus as Lord. And this false teaching, this easy believism teaching, has given birth to a third category of people. Throughout church history, there were only two categories of people. And it's not male or female or white or black or red or yellow. It's saved or lost. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7 as he said that there are two roads the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. And there are many on the broad road and they live in accordance to the world. And there are few on the narrow road and they live in accordance with the word of God. But now we have the carnal Christian and he's on the middle road. Now, middle of the road used to be a kind of music that you played. But now in the church, the middle road is what the carnal Christian is on. He lives like those on the broad road, but he expects to go to the same destination as those on the narrow road. And what I say to you today is that there is just no such animal as a carnal Christian. It is unbiblical, it is heresy, it is the misinterpretation and misuse of one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, one or two verses. It's just not true. If you are saved, there will be evidence. This is where we're going in our study in God's Word. We've looked already at the essence of forgiveness, that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. We've seen the existence of forgiveness that comes from God and the work of Christ, and we are currently looking at what we are calling the evidence of forgiveness, that when a man or a woman or even a boy or a girl is saved by the grace of God, 
that will impact them. They will go, why, oh God, have you saved me? A, a, a wicked sinner. Have you had, why have you had mercy on me? And their hearts will run out in love and appreciation to the God who saved them. That's the first area that we're looking at still. That when you have been saved by God, your heart will manifest love to the Father who has saved you. Love for the Christ who has given his life for you. And so far we've seen two examples of that from the scripture. One from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7, where that person who was called a known sinner, that woman, came while Jesus was in the home of the Pharisee. And while he was reclining at table, she poured oil on his feet. She anointed his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair, showing her love to the one who had forgiven her. This is a whole study on forgiveness. In response to forgiveness, she manifested love to the one who forgave her. And the Pharisee, whose house Jesus was in, did not. Keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it again in a moment. Last week, we saw another example from Scripture. And that came from Luke chapter 17. And there were ten lepers. And Jesus healed them all. But only one came back to give glory to God and to praise God for what he had done. He was the one who praised God for cleansing him. A picture of each one of us who has been saved from our sins. As leprosy was that dreaded disease that affected every area of your life. Jesus healed them. Sin affects every area of our life. And when you have been cleansed of your sin by Jesus, you will fall at his feet and worship him. Now today, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. We've seen two examples. And what I want to do today is look at a more theological view and see from the scriptures where this comes from and why it should be manifested in each one of us. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to John's Gospel and chapter 14. John 14. I want for us to see here from this text, or at least to begin to see here from this text, a very basic principle of Christianity. You can call it Christianity 101. Very basic, foundational principle of Christianity. And we would call this, and it goes right along with our study, evidence of the love of God in a believer. Evidence in the love of God. The one whose sins have been forgiven will evidence love for Christ. Look, if you would, please, at verse 15. Now, I know that it connects, and there is a contextual element to this, but it's not going to uh, take much of our uh, attention away from what is said in the verse. So please look just at verse 15 right now. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. You see, it said in 
the opposite way. But it's basically the same thing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what I want to do today is open this text up briefly and seek to understand how this relates to our study on the evidence of forgiveness. As Jesus says, if you love me, if you've been forgiven, you will keep my commandments. Now suppose I were to ask every one of you here today, maybe I could even get a show of hands. How many of you love Jesus? Well, look at that. All of you, well, even even Rebecca, all of you raised your hand. All of you would say, I do, I love Jesus. Yet, our Lord Jesus says right here in this text, if that is indeed the case, there will be evidence. It's not enough to just raise your hand in a church service even in an invitation, and come forward. It's not enough to raise your hand and say, yes, I love Jesus. There is to be evidence. Anybody can say, I love Jesus. And there's multitudes of people who do. But in their hearts, in their lives, there is no evidence. There's no evidence that they even care about him. Those who truly love Jesus will do something. You will see it in their life. Now, that's why I mentioned to you a few moments ago that text in Luke chapter 7. Remember the difference between the Pharisee and she was a prostitute, the known sinner who was anointing Jesus' feet. There was a difference. There was a contrast. And Jesus said, she has loved much. She has been forgiven much, and she, therefore, loves much. And the Pharisee, remember, he was indifferent. He didn't give Jesus a kiss when he came into his house. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't anoint his head. He didn't do any of the things that would normally be done to a guest in your home in those days, an honored guest particularly. But she did it all to Jesus. There was a contrast. She was forgiven much. She loved much. There was evidence of the forgiveness in her life. And here in this text, what does Jesus point to as the evidence that you love him. If you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is central. This is foundational. This is basic Christianity 101. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. Now, what are his commandments? That ought to be perhaps the first question that we would want to answer. What does he mean when he says, you will keep my commandments? What are his commandments? To answer this, I want to remind you where we began in this whole study. 
we talked about what we called the definition of sin. What is sin? And we saw that sin is lawlessness, a breaking of the law of God. Turn, if you would, please, in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Remember, we said it's 1, 2, 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. And here you have a great definition of sin. 1 John 3, 4. And by the way, in case I forget, let me just say we will be going back and forth from the Gospel of John to the Epistle of John, if you want to put a little marker there. But 1 John 3, 4, verse 4 here says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's a definition of sin. It is lawlessness. And I want to remind you of what we saw when we looked at this text. We talked about what law John was talking about. Which law do you think he was talking about? And we went through several minutes of understanding and opening up. Was it the civil law? Was it the ceremonial law? No, it was the moral law of God. And I ask you again, so sin is breaking the moral law of God. What is the moral law of God? It's the ten, the ten what? The ten commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he's talking about sin being the breaking of the moral law of God. The opposite is the keeping of the moral law of God. God gave the commandments. They are his commandments. I know that they were given through Moses, but we don't call them Moses' commandments. They're God's commandments. And even in the keeping of the commandments, it is the keeping of God's law. Now back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So when Jesus here says, if you love me, in verse 15, you will keep my commandments. Let me ask you this. Who was Jesus? Jesus was, Jesus is eternal God. And so, whose commandments did Moses receive? God's commandments. Jesus is God. They're His commandments. The moral law are the commandments of Jesus. Because Jesus is God. So here he is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And now, we're going to talk a minute about the commandments, but just think Jesus also said when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, that's kind of the first four and the last six commandments surmised by our Lord. And that's what Jesus said. Love the Lord with all your hearts. If you love him with all your heart, you won't have idols before him. You'll keep his day. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't kill him. Unless he comes into your house unannounced at night. You know, 
But no, you, you will keep the commandments. And this is Jesus speaking about keeping his commandments. Therefore, keeping the law of God is keeping the commandment of God. One has put it this way when asked, well, what are the commandments that Jesus is talking about when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One put it this way. The whole of the revelation of the divine will, respecting what I am to believe and feel and to do and to suffer contained in the Holy Scriptures. That is the law. That is the commandment of Christ. It's all God's law. It's all Christ's law. All that he has given us to do, all that he has given us to keep, and those things that we saw even when we studied the definition of sin, where sin is when you don't do what you know to be right. Sin is when you sin against the light of God, and even though you have the grace of God, and he's shown you the truth, you still turn against him and sin. These are what we saw. This is the opposite of keeping of heeding of, as Jesus says, keeping his commandments. Sin is the opposite of keeping his commandments. Let's talk a little bit about that then. What does he mean? What is meant here by keeping my commandments? Now, the Greek word here is tereo, and it basically means to attend to carefully, to observe to attend to carefully, to observe. It is what God spoke even when he gave the law of Moses. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Look at Exodus 20. Real quick, Exodus 20. I don't have time to go through all of the commandments and even begin to touch on them, but look what he says in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, now he's given the commandment. Now he goes on to describe a little bit about himself. Don't do this, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands. And who are they? To those who love me and keep my commandments. Those are the ones right here in the Old Testament, right in the law, right in the Ten Commandments. God says, I shall love to those who love me and keep my commandments. So Jesus, back in John 14, is essentially repeating what God said back in Exodus 20. Those who love me will keep my commandments. They will observe them. They will carefully attend to them. Now, I want for you to look at something else and see if this is true of your heart. In your consecutive reading through the Bible, as you recall, every day you read a portion of the Psalms. 
And those of you who are following that are currently reading in Psalm 119. Look there, if you would, please, for a few moments. Psalm 119. Just turn to the very beginning and look down, if you would, to verse 16. You know, if you're reading through this, that a lot of this has to do with your view, my view, the psalmist's view of the law of God. And I would suggest to you that the godly Christian as the godly Jew had this view of the law. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word, but I will delight in your statutes. Because I can't comment on every single one of them. Look to verse 24. Your testimonies also are my delight. His testimonies are his word, his precepts, his commandments, his law. Your testimonies are all are my delight. Verse 35. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in the path of the commandment of God. There's a good way to think of it. And ask yourself, is this me? We have people today that recoil against the commandments of God. Oh, they're not for the church. That's Old Testament stuff. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeping his commandments is delighting in them, loving them, considering the path that they lead you to be a path of delight. Look at verse 47. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Why do people hate the commandments of God? When the psalmist says, I delight in them, I love them. The heart of a true Christian will exhibit a love for the way of God, for the commandments of God. But there's more. Look at verse 97. 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, some of you would say, well, I don't meditate on the law all day long. But you know what? I would imagine that in many ways you actually do. The decisions that you make, the paths that you choose, are governed by your love of the law of God or your hatred of the law of God. When God is your delight, when His ways are your delight, the things that you will do throughout the day are guiding you. And you might not even consciously think of it, but you will be as the psalmist says, meditating on his law all day long and following what God has taught you from his word. That's why I don't want to tell you stories. I don't want to give you games, jokes. I want to give you God's word. So then sometimes, maybe even subconsciously, you will go, this isn't right. I should not do this. This is contrary to the word of God. And you will be meditating, not on a joke, not on a story, but on the word of God. 
the principles, the commandments of God all day long. Verse 127. Therefore I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. How many Christians could say that? I mean, uh, well, let me see how many church members can say that, I should ask. Because you've got all kinds of people who go to churches and you can tell in their lives that their desire is more to gain riches than to gain the wisdom of God and to abide by the commandments of God. Try giving the commandments of God to these health and wealth churches. Let's have Creflo Dollar tell his congregation that if you're not following the law of God, you're going to hell. No, 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 no. He'll tell them, if you love God, you'll get gold, you'll get rich. That's the most important thing. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. That's the most important thing. No, it's not. According to God, true riches is His Word. True riches is wisdom from His Word. And true riches is being on the path of righteousness according to His commandments. Look at another one, 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. 165. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. See that? When you have his law in your heart and you meditate on it and it guides your path, even when trials come, you will have great peace. And then 167, my soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly, exceedingly. Is this your heart? Is this your testimony? This is the testimony of the God of the Bible. Oh, but that's Old Testament. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the heart of a godly man in Psalm 119. Is it the heart of you today who claim to be a Christian? Do you delight in the law of God? For when you delight in the law of the, of the God who saved you, who forgave you, you will keep his commandments. It's simple. It's, as I said, Christianity 101. People, this is not just rhetoric. This is an examination of your heart. Is God, God's law a delight to you or a burden? Is God's word a delight or something you can't wait until it's done. Like those people who were more anxious to get out of church than to get into church. I know that's not the case here. But I'm showing you the difference in modern day Christianity who teach that there is this bird known as the carnal Christian. Now go back to John 14, if you would, please. I also want you to understand this before we move on. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Remember I said that word, treireo. It is 
properly translated, will be keeping. You will be keeping my commandments. In other words, it's not just this time. It is an ongoing thing. It is a lifestyle. You will continually be keeping my commandments. How do you know a Christian? How do you know a Christian? A Christian is one who evidences a walk with God, a striving for holiness and sanctification. And when does that end in a Christian's life? Glorification. Amen. When he goes to be with Jesus. And yet, one of the things that was so prominent with some of the people that I pastored in churches, the older people go, oh yeah, I, I used to do that. I used to like the Word of God. I, I used to go out and witness and talk to my neighbors, but yeah, no, not so much. It's you will be keeping His commandments. You will be striving in day-to-day life for holiness. It is an ongoing lifetime effort that the man of God who has known what it means to be forgiven will do to the day he dies because he never forgets that he was once a sinner and now he's saved by God. It should never leave us that we were dead and lost and hell bound. And in his love and in his mercy, God saved us by his grace. That should never go away. We should never cease to be awed by what Christ has done for us. Every day, we ought to be awed by the work of Jesus in saving us as men and women. And so every day, we love Him, and every day, we keep His commandments. Now, I believe that this will manifest itself in other areas in our study. We'll go on and see how this works out. But for now, I want you to understand that I am not suggesting in any way that keeping the law of God somehow or other brings us salvation. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not saying that. The text does not say that. Keeping His law in order to be saved is not biblical. We're saved by grace. Nor is this text teaching that if we keep His commandments, we somehow or other earn His favor. Like, you know what? If I do some good things for God, maybe he'll look kindly on me and he'll do good things for me. That's the health and wealth gospel. We're not at all suggesting that. We're suggesting that when you love God, when you have been shown the forgiveness of God, you will love God and that will manifest itself in response to him in keeping his commandments. So we keep his commandments because why? He has already loved us. That's that passage we read a little while ago. Turn back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Here's why we love God and we love God. We keep His commandments. Here's why. 1 John 4 and look at verse 19. We love 
because he first loved us. Here you are, walking in sin, living your life in contrast to a holy life, a godly life, hating God, maybe not thinking that you hate God, but in practice, you are at enmity, enemies of God. You're going through your life. Think about the Apostle Paul. Persecuting the church. And one day, God stops him on the Damascus road. Shines the light of truth upon him. And he is miraculously saved by the grace of God. People, that happens to you. What happens? What happened to Paul? God changed his heart. The scales fell off, remember, and he became, he became a great testimony to the truth of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. What happens to each one of you? When you are genuinely saved, God arrests you. You're walking down the road of your life. You're working in your business. You're working in the school. You're doing whatever you think you're supposed to be doing. And, and God isn't even a thought. Look at all these people going by on the road out here. God isn't even a thought. But sometime in your life, God arrested you, drew you to himself by the power of his word and the Holy Spirit saved you. And now you love him. You love because he first loved you. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But God, even when we were sinners, saved us by his grace. And now, because of that, we love. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what this did to people's lives, to countries, to nations. But we love because He first loved us. I was a dead, lost sinner without regard to the truth of God's Word. And He loved me, saved me. And because of that, I now love Him. And that love to Him is evident in the fact that I strive to keep His ways. Try to be sanctified, holy. And that is the testimony of every true born-again man or woman. You love because He first loved you. Now, if you're still in 1 John 4, I want you to go back to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. Because John here really nails down some of this that we've been talking about. He puts it in a very plain way. Now, earlier I mentioned and asked you if you love God. No, I love God. And I've heard many say, I love God. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Anyone can say that. But look at what John says here. Verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Anyone can say, I love God. 
Anyone can say, I'm a Christian. But the one who says that and does not keep his commandments is quite bluntly and plainly a liar. Are you a liar today? You all raised your hand. Some of you are liars. Because the one who genuinely loves him will keep his commandments. If not, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And how did Jesus walk? Sinless perfection. I'm not saying that you'll get there. I'll mention that in a moment. But we strive to be men and women of the book. Strive to live holy lives. But how many millions are packed in churches right now and are deceived in their own lives deceiving themselves that they're going to go to heaven because they go to church, but they do not keep His commandments. They're deceiving themselves. And how many millions are in churches right now who have been deceived by the false teaching from the pulpit in the church that they're attending as the pastor tells them, it doesn't matter if you live for Jesus. You'll go to heaven as long as you make a decision. They're being deceived. This carnal Christian theory is false. If you say you love God and don't keep His commandments, you're a liar. You're deceived. And on your way to an eternity in hell. These clear passages go far in refuting that carnal Christian heresy. It is a lie necessitated by the easy believism of our day. The true Christian will truly strive to keep Jesus' commandments. The true Christian will truly strive to keep His commandments. People, it's called holiness, godliness, progressive sanctification. Striving to live in accordance with His will. And Hebrews tells us, without that, no man will see the Lord. If you don't have sanctification and holiness in your life, no man will see the Lord. Hebrews twelve fourteen. I don't want you to be like those millions I just talked about. I don't want you to be deceiving yourself And I certainly don't want to deceive you from the pulpit. The clear teaching of the scripture is that if you truly and genuinely love Jesus, it'll show. There will be evidence. Your life will change. You will strive to be holy. I once was blind and now I see. I was once a slave traitor. And now I love God and strive to do good for men. There will be a change in your life. Perhaps God takes away certain sins that were just so much a part of who you were. Perhaps it happens right away. Sometimes it happens over a period of time. 
but God will change your life. You will not be the same. And there will be evidence. Now, I know everybody, when I come to their house, is going to have a Bible on their lap. (laughs) Uh, There's evidence, preacher, right? There will be a change in your life. And how that change manifests itself, because you keep His commandments, is just some of what we'll touch on beginning next week. But even now, as I close, I want to assure you that this is not speaking of legalism. It's, you, you can't even talk about keeping His law in our day without some saying, that's legalism! That's legalism! It's not legalism. It's love for Jesus! It's not legalism. It's love for the Word of God. And to deny that is rationalism. And that's what these people who would call keeping commandments are doing. They are rationalizing away their own sin and their own need for holiness and their own need to keep and to love the law of God. That's rationalism. We're not being legalists. We're lovers of Christ, doing as our Savior said, keeping His commandments. And I want no part of that antinomianism. Rather, I delight in keeping the law and the ways of God, and I pray that you do as well. Now, let me point out this as we close. I promised I would say this. I am not at all suggesting that you will ever become sinless or perfect. Oh no, I sinned today. That means I don't love Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I didn't keep His commandments. I must not love Jesus. That's not what the text is implying. If you love Him, you will keep His commandments. But all of you, all of us, are still men. Still women. And we still sin. Look back to chapter 1. Right here. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is part of what we looked at under the essence of forgiveness. We are still all sinners. Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 wrestled with his sin. That which I would do, I do not do. That which I would not do, I do. We're all sinners. But there is still a difference in the one who saved. He will strive for holiness. He will lament and regret his sin where the lost person will not care a whit. The lost person doesn't even think about it when he sins, whereas you, it may bother your conscience. That's not to say you're not saved. That's not to say you don't love Jesus. It is to say, though, that tomorrow you get up and you strive to keep His commandments better than you did yesterday. We who love Christ will evidence it in our lives. We will keep His commandments. And as we strive to follow Christ, may this be true of each one of us and be true of us as a church.
church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.